This is Tom Lee for NEGM Catalyst, and I'm speaking today with Adrian Boise of the Cleveland Clinic. Adrian is a good friend and colleague. She's the chief experience officer at the Cleveland Clinic. She's an outstanding practicing neurologist, a leader in multiple sclerosis at the clinic. She's been in this very important role, one of the greatest healthcare institutions in the world, and I want to start by noting that it's hard to get physicians to change how they do things particularly when they think things are going pretty well. You know, how are you and the other leaders at the Cleveland Clinic getting physicians to be interested in learning new communication skills as a way of improving their care when they've got to be thinking they're pretty good to begin with? Well, we're all pretty good to begin with, I think, and thank you for the kind introduction. I would say we've really focused on two main points. One is a probably favorite topic of yours, I know, which is about transparency, Right. Um, there's an old educational model from Taylor that talks about medical education and how adults learn, and certainly adults choose to learn or not, but it talks about this concept of unconscious incompetence, right, that if you don't have an interest in learning or you don't think you have any blind spots, you absolutely won't engage in the learning process. And one of the ways to move people out of unconscious incompetence is through transparency, to reflect back to them their blind spots. And that model describes putting them into something we call conscious incompetence, which is this time when you realize, huh, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. And only then will people be receptive to training or programs about learning how to be a better communicator. And so that was an important sort of strategic lesson for us as an organization, because putting patient comments about how they felt when you communicated with them about how effective your language was and how that made them feel, putting that back at the physicians and showing them this is how patients felt during their interaction with you, I think is a very powerful way of driving that sort of interest and in change. Um, the second thing is really around being willing in your training to talk about the cases or the communication challenges that haunt clinicians the most. I mean, it's if you think you don't want to learn about listening or sort of the predictable topics that we talk about in communication skills, that's probably a common phenomenon. But these cases that haunt you, that you remember for the rest of your career as a physician, where you really struggled or it left an emotional residue on you, those are the opportunities to not just maybe do some healing, but to create and give you new skills to navigate that the next time it pops up. I think that's critically important because if you're not addressing the sweet spot for clinicians, the learning really won't have the impact that we want it to. Well, Adrian, you and your colleague Tim Gilligan have created a, a program at the Cleveland Clinic where physicians all get taught communication skills, and you described it very nicely in your new book, Communication, The Cleveland Clinic Way. Uh, for people who haven't read the book yet, if there are any out there, can you give a quick thumbnail sketch of what does that program look like? What does it mean for physicians at the Cleveland Clinic? The book is really meant to talk about not just the program itself and how it was structured, but as we were rolling out the program, our own doctors taught us a lot about what they needed the most, meaning when I started or seven some odd years ago when we were asked to roll out communication skills training, we had no idea what we were doing. We were just doctors and 
just doctors, quote-unquote. And we thought a lot about what people would really be interested in learning and what would be relevant and get them engaged in training and thought about our own experiences. We also made sure we did our homework around learning what evidence-based best practices were across the country and the globe, really, as in terms of programs that had driven meaningful change in behavior and practice. And so although the book talks about the content of the program, it also really walks people along the journey we took as an organization to shift culture around communication skills and intentionality around the words we all choose. How did we leverage transparency to raise engagement? How do you invite people to attend and ask them to help rather than just tell them they have to go? Talking about lessons we learned around, you know, oftentimes in a course, talking about HCAP scores or patient satisfaction scores is not the greatest inspiring force. I think you talk about that a lot too, right, in your own work, that putting the scores in front of people doesn't necessarily make them want to change their behavior in and of itself. So you have to tap into something deeper and richer that has meaning for them. And I think the book talks about a lot of those lessons for us as an organization and building a program that was empathic to our own physicians just as much as it was meant to drive empathy for our patients. We learned a lot in that process. So hopefully the goal of the book is to really detail that journey, share some of the lessons we learned, as well as communicate the structure of the course and and what our docs really taught us about that. So is this a required course for physicians at the clinic, and and how many hours does it take? So good question. When we started, we actually trained a 1,000, and we're talking about experienced physicians um, as opposed to residents or medical students and fellows, at least when we started. When we started, we trained a 1,000 people by invitation. So we actually were very intentional and grassroots about it. So we sent out maybe an invitation to 10 people to say, hey, we've got this course, why don't you come take a look? And then we asked them to suggest 10 additional names, and then slowly it spread and trickled throughout to the point where we were able to train a 1,000 people just by invitation. And then it sort of hit this critical tipping point uh, where we wanted to make it scalable to the entire enterprise, which was about 4,000 physicians, including residents and fellows, and at that point, we made it a expected requirement of all physicians across the enterprise. And since then, have incorporated it into our onboarding process, as well as into ongoing training for physicians as more advanced courses have evolved. Again, trying to keep the topics really relevant to what's most important to the physicians that they're most interested in learning in their own practice. And so how big a time commitment is it? Oh, the full-day course is eight hours. And the reason that number scares a lot of people, as it may scare you and others who are listening, but the important thing that we pushed about back about when we received some requests to shorten it was that there's really two agendas in the course, or at least there evolved two different agendas in the course. One was to teach content, to be an informative course on effective communication skills. But the second was more 
transformative as we talk about, which is this idea that you're changing thinking and attitudes and beliefs. And much of that was about this concept of relationships. What would your language sound like if you were trying to build a relationship with someone as opposed to just trying to get them to take their medicine? And can we play with that? Can you think about what your role or responsibility in that uh, would be as a physician? And so we felt very protective of creating enough space and enough vulnerability over the hours that we were together to get people to that transformative thinking. And throughout the course, in fact, we're very intentional about how we structure exercises and relationships within the course of the day to deepen the amount of work people have to do. And that requires trust that we build very intentionally over the eight hours. So although it probably is an unheard of commitment, in order to demonstrate the impact which we ultimately did, statistically significant impact on patient experience, empathy, and burnout, that structure was essential. Okay, in everything that I've ever led, it seems like my colleagues sort themselves into three groups. There's one group that's really into it. Uh, at the other extreme, there's another group that is really not. They're rolling their eyes and they can't believe they're stuck there. They're trying to get out. And then there's a group in the middle that says, okay, I've got to do this. I'm going to, uh, I'm here. And how, what percentages of your docs were in each of those groups? I'm assuming that there was, there were representatives of all three. Yeah, I I think you're right. Uh we had them all probably. Uh I I think what's interesting about your comments is that although the tendency is to try to convince people how important communication skills are, there's actually 30 years of literature that support how important they are, right? In preventing malpractice, safety, quality, teamwork, patient satisfaction as well as physician satisfaction and engagement. And uh, yet oftentimes we still feel this responsibility to try to convince people of how important it must be. And so when you describe those groups, you know, we probably had, as I said, a 1,000 people. So literally up to, I would say, 25, 30% of people of our entire staff went through the course completely voluntarily, right, just by invitation. I think that's a highly engaged group. I would say there's a majority in the middle who engaged thinking that there was some relevant benefit to them. And I would say the degree that we're actively disengaged, probably somewhere on the range of 5 to 10%. And the reason I say that, we talk about in the book that there were two people who we had to pull aside at some point and say, wow, this really seems to be a struggle for you. Or uh, tell me a little bit about how you think your behavior might be impacting the rest of the group. Uh, because I think all of us, too, need to be aware that even if we don't think it's important, there's lots of other people at the at the table who probably could derive something. It was a very interesting finding in the study that no matter what, how many years of training you'd had, no matter what your patient satisfaction scores coming in were, no matter what specialty you were in, everyone who went through the course became better. And I think that's an important lesson that all of us have something to learn. And when people said, well, I don't need to come. I've been teaching communication skills in the medical school for five years. We said, that's great. 
we need your talent in the room just as much as someone who hasn't been doing that. And so, you know, you just have to meet people where they are. And we were pretty intentional about doing that. One of my very favorite parts of your book was how you wouldn't take no from the chair of neurosurgery. He wanted to pawn the role of leading this off on some new person uh, and you and and you wouldn't take no. Can you quickly summarize that little vignette, why you wouldn't take no and how things worked out? Sure. So for anybody who may have met me before, I'm a relatively young female, and I at the time was exquisitely aware that communication skills training could be viewed as a soft and fluffy skill that perhaps only some of us need or believe in. And I was very interested at the time in choosing people who had, you call them, you know, we hear them called nodes or organizational influence and longevity. And and I had very intentionally chosen people from across the organization who I thought could bring that as facilitators for the training. Um, people who had been here for 30 or 40 years, people who were surgeons. You know, if your organization is 60% surgeons, you need to have that represented in your facilitator pool. So I wanted, again, had thought and strategized about who would serve best as facilitators for a variety of reasons. Went to the chair of neurosurgery and said, I'd really like you to be involved in this effort. I think this is a part of who you are as well as you could be a very powerful influence on many others in terms of turning this tide. And uh, as you mentioned, wrote back saying, you know, that's very nice. I appreciate that you thought of me. There's a young woman that recently joined our practice. I think she might be better. This would be perfect for her. And I think I wrote back and said, I, I think I really appreciate your suggestion and I'd still like you to do it. And then while he was thinking that over, I had engaged the institute chair. So I give him a lot of credit at the time and just said, I, I really don't, I don't want a younger person, and I certainly don't want a female. I'm very, being very strategic about who has organizational influence here, and I think he's the right person. Uh, and garnered support, and as I often say, was relentless in my pursuit, I think, to make sure that was brought to bear. And trusted my gut on that. And to be honest, it was absolutely the right choice. People often come to me and say, I wouldn't have come to the course except I heard what you did with Dr. Blank. I can't believe you've got Dr. So-and-so to teach the course. And that that word of mouth has a very powerful effect on the rest of your organization. You can't underestimate that power of one person who is that node, that sphere of influence. I love that story. Now, all right, so I trust you. My personal assessment of myself is that I'm a pretty good communicator. I'm not a doctor at the Cleveland Clinic, but if I was there and I acknowledged that as good as I might be, I could get better, what what would happen to me during that eight-hour course? Is that even possible for Tom, Dr. Tom Lee to get better? <laughs> You're already so good, Tom. I'm not sure that we could make any inroads. I'm just kidding. So, well, I think if you came into the course, um, you would be greeted immediately upon entry into the course, and we would engage you likely in a discussion about who you are as a person and your prior experience with communication skills training. 
it's very important to us to model the skills that we're talking about in the experience of the course itself so that you as a participant feel what it feels like to be listened to, to have empathic curiosity land on you, to be a part of what happens the rest of the day, shared decision-making. And we built that into your experience as a participant. We ask you if you've been up all night on call. We introduce some play and some fun so you're interacting with colleagues early, but it's not just superficial questions. It's questions really driven with meaning. You know, have you had a difficult conversation in the last week? Have you lost a patient? I mean, we're exploring that very early to try to raise the amount of trust and vulnerability in the room fairly quickly. And as we go through the course, we'll ask you to bring your toughest communication scenarios. I want you to think about that. I want you to really tap into that space where you struggled. And we'll ask you about that, Tom. And then we'll assess your level of comfort throughout the day. Is the learning getting too much? How is the feedback landing on you? Are you engaged in the learning process or not? And oftentimes at the end of the course, we'll ask you to appreciate other members who took the course with you to end on a note of gratitude and certainly to reflect on what's one thing that you're going to take away and use every single day in either patient interactions or interactions with your colleagues. So our real goal is to build an experience for you that you walk away talking about for a long time. Well, the word of mouth I hear is that you've been successful. The data as you described, uh, indicate that it has had real impact that's measurable. And I can tell you that the fact that you guys started this program and implemented it across the system at the Cleveland Clinic, one of the flagship institutions of the country, uh, is attracting a lot of attention. So I actually think you're, you're changing healthcare. And spreading word about that is part of our job with Catalyst. So I want to thank you for your time today. Thank our audience for listening. And I'm sure there are going to be more lessons learned in this and other areas by you in years to come. And I'm looking forward to staying in touch and uh, bring you back to the Catalyst audience as well. Thank you very much, Adrian. Uh, thank you so much, Tom and others.